The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, good morning. If you'll go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to that small letter of Jude just before the book of Revelation. And Ruby, I just want to express how proud we are of you. And at the age of 13, man, what a, what a difficult age, but you've made that commitment to Christ and to follow Him. And you had good news yesterday. I just got to brag on you. She ran her first cross-country race yesterday in a time of 20 minutes and 50 seconds. That's quite an achievement. So we're proud of you. Most of all, we're proud that you've uh, stepped out to trust Christ and you're going to walk with him. I was thinking this week of how faithful we spoke of God's faithfulness. uh, But I was just reminded this week as I was thinking, as I do every day, about the body here at First Conyers. And I was just so thankful for your faithfulness. Um, Man, can you just celebrate in that and say, Lord, thank you for allowing us to be faithful. Just praising for that. Um, Speaking with a number of my peers and the different uh, circumstances and situations of the body of Christ at local churches during all of this period, you can only imagine. Uh, But you have been faithful, and I know your faithfulness is to the Lord. Your faithfulness is not to the Southern Baptist Convention. Your faithfulness is not to the local association. Your faithfulness is not to the church, First Conyers, but you are faithful to the Lord Jesus. Isn't that great? And so let's just continue to be faithful in our giving and our love to Him, our time with Him in the Word, and sharing Christ with others. I was looking this last week, uh, doing a little bit research on on deceptively dangerous animals. And there was a list that I came across that listed the 10 most deceptively dangerous animals. And there were some that were there that we would imagine would be there, the, the little picture of the little white polar bear, and it's so cute and lovely, and we know that the polar bear is probably the most uh, vicious of all. The hippopotamus, we love hippopotamus, right? Uh, they're cute and they're fuzzy, but very dangerous, and, and the duck-billed platypus, you know, looks like a duck, looks like you're not sure what it is. It's not one of those, if it walks like a duck, uh, quacks like a duck, then it's a duck. It's really not a gut, a goat. Uh, duck. There we go. But topping the list, this surprised me, was an animal that is so deceptively dangerous we would never imagine. And it was the lovely swan. Isn't that beautiful? It's reported that swans are so defending of their family and their young that, that those who would come to endanger their little ones and even human beings can become subject to drowning by a swan. And their method is that they get on top of the individual and they hold them down in the water. Now, would you have guessed this was one of the most dangerous animals in the world? It's kind of what Jude is talking about in his letter. And today is the last day that we will look at some of the things that he speaks of those who he refers to as apostates, those who uh, have left the faith and is warning of them. Uh, Next week, we'll close the book of Jude with a great uh, declaration here at the end of the book. But today, he's going to talk uh, once more about the, the fruit of those who are apostates or heretics and who espouse that and try to draw others away from the faith in Christ to their little group. 
And then he's going to tell us how we are to conduct ourselves so that we might hold on to the faith, the faith of the body of Christ. And so he begins in verse 17. He says, but you, circle that word, but you, or those two words, but you. In other words, I'm, I'm talking about all of these guys that are apostates, but now let me talk to you. He says that twice in these uh, few verses. But you, but you, he says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving them a reminder. How many of you understand that, that we don't always remember those things that we're supposed to remember? right? Why did I come into this room? What was I going to tell you? Which drawer is my sock drawer after 20 years, right? And, and so he's reminding them, and we find that in the Bible, there's so many things that are repeated as a reminder, a reminder, and a reminder. And here he's saying, hey, guys, you must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those apostles that were set aside in that early church that, that were, had seen Jesus literally and had walked with him, had seen the risen Christ, remember what they repeated that Jesus had passed on to them. We read in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, where Jesus said this. He says, beware of false prophets. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, but, he says, Jesus says, but you will know them by their fruit. Now, like the swans, sometimes they can be deceptively vicious. But he says there's an evidence that we can see and track in their lives that, that it will become apparent to us that they are apostates or they're heretics. And he says, they're, they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. And then he goes on to say, by, by their fruit, you'll know them. After all, a, a grapes are not produced from a thorn bush. And, and a, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Only a good tree can produce good fruit. And then he says again, you will know them by their fruits. Peter echoed this same thing in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, one of the apostles. He gives the same warning to his readers of his letters. He says, above all, be aware of this. Scoffers or mockers will come in the last days, scoffing and following, following what? Their own evil desires. The last days, the last days begin the moment Jesus was was ascended to the Father. We are in the last days. And just as there were those who were scoffers and mockers and apostates in the early apostles' days, there are those that are today. And so it's going to continue until the Lord Jesus comes back. Paul, when he's writing to the, uh, when he's meeting with those in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, if you want to turn over there in your Bibles with me. And on his last missionary journey, Paul knew that he would no longer be in Ephesus. He knew that this was probably his last time that he was going to be with them. And he called all the elders or the pastors of the churches in that area together. And he admonished them this way. He says in verse, uh, he says in verse 22, 
um, that he did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel or the word of God. And then in verse 29, he warns them, he says, or verse 28, he says, pay careful attention. Now, he's speaking to the elders. He's speaking to the pastors. He's speaking to the shepherds. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock. I like the way he put the priority there to the shepherd, to the elder. He says, first of all, you pay careful attention to yourself. That's not the only time he said that. He writes in Timothy to to Timothy, he says, Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. And so here he admonishes the elders, listen, pay careful attention to your life and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for all of these years, I did not cease day and night to admonish you with tears. And so here he's giving the warning to them. Listen, be aware, know this for a fact, that there will be those who come in to the flock to try to lead them away. Writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says this, beginning in chapter 4, Uh, verses 1 to 5. And by the way, Timothy was the pastor, if you will, over that area, that church in Ephesus. And so we see Paul admonishing the elders there in Ephesus, pay careful attention because there are going to be those that come in. Then he writes to Timothy, who is there, he says in verse 1, now the Spirit, the Spirit of God, expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. In other words, there are those who, are, who, who, who have the appearance that they're in the faith, but they're going to depart and they're going to teach doctrine inspired by demonic beings, verse 2, through the, in, in, uh, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences have been seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the warning again is there are those that are going to come in and they're going to lead others astray. Turn into the next letter, the very last letter that the apostle Pro- Paul wrote as he was there in prison awaiting uh, his death sentence, if you will, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He reminds Timothy again. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. How many of you would say amen to that? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then he says, avoid such people. 
what he's laying out are are the marks of those who would be apostates or false teachers. Because he goes on in context in verse 6 to say, For among them are those who crept into the households and captured weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. And so it's very clear and evident that we shouldn't be surprised that there are those today who are apostates, who look, don't look, who walk the walk, who talk the talk, but we find out that they were only in it for their greedy gain and their own selfishness. He says they were following their ungodly passions back in, back in uh, the book of Jude. I find it interesting that as Paul is admonishing the elders there in Acts chapter 20, in the church in Ephesus, and then he's writing to Timothy two separate times. He gives this warning to them to pay attention, to be careful, and defend for the faith. But only fast forward about 30 years later in the book of Revelation when John is writing and he's given the first church that he speaks to is the church of Ephesus. And he commends them that they guarded their doctrine well. But then he also chastises them because they did what? Anybody remember? But I have one thing against you, and you have left your what? Your first love. You see, there's a warning in this. While, While we need to hold true to the faith, hold true to doctrinal truth of the Scripture, we do not and cannot make the mistake that we come so highly minded that we forget to do the one thing that Jesus told us to do that all the commandments rested on, to love Him and love our neighbor as ourselves, right? There's a balance in that. You see, correct doctrine should always lead that we grow in our love for one another and grow in our love for those who are not of the faith as well, so that they might know that we are Jesus's because of our what? Our love that we have for one another. And so he admonishes them here. And then he says in the last part of that verse that they're following their ungodly passions. This word translated in, in different places has the idea of they're, they're following their own lust or their own cravings, that which they would crave for themselves. Their carnal or their fleshly appetites, their polluted desires, their deceitful lust fixed on sensuous desires and pleasures. In other words, their motivation in this is all for themselves and what they can get from it. I've noticed throughout the years when I have seen individuals in the pulpit who have gone from what seemed to be very sincere in the beginning to way out here in left field, that the more opportunity that's there, it can just feed the flesh and they forget And they go after those things. I saw this week, made the headlines in many of the Christian publications that I read on a frequent basis. And uh, it it surprised me, but it didn't surprise me. Kenneth Copeland, who has been one of the biggest heretics and apostates of our our lifetime, who preaches a prosperity gospel and uh, says that you need to give, and he, and he, he preys on widows and households only to have his, his corral of, of twin-engine planes and two private jets because uh, he's afraid now in an interview last week that it's a, it's a den for COVID, <laughs> right? I, I found it interesting that TBN had decided, has made the decision, the corporate decision, to no longer air his show 
And to be replaced by him is the young man I spoke of a couple of weeks ago that I saw started out in a, in a right direction but has gone way off in the whole prosperity gospel thing, and that is Stephen Furtick. My goodness, how fame and fortune can bring anyone down. That's not only for preachers, but it's for you and me as well. And so we see that they are, they are led away by their own passions. And then he says this, in this verse, he says, what they do is they cause divisions. Their intention is to come in and to draw away from the flock those who would be following the apostles' teaching to get them to come away and to begin following their teaching. And oftentimes, their teaching is one that kind of propagates the idea. You know, what, what you've heard before really is not the end thing. Now the end thing is this new revelation that I have been given from God, and now you've got to follow after me. And so here, when he says they cause divisions, it's not the person that just comes into the church and begins to gossip, although that causes divisions. Amen? But they try to draw away individuals after this kind of higher spiritual plane of reality. Now, they're, they're going after those who, who, who want to grow spiritually. How many of us want to grow spiritually? How many of us want as much of God as we can have? And so, in a sense, we're gullible to that. We can be gullible if we don't know the Scriptures. And they'll say, listen, here's a way, here's a path to get to that place spiritually where you want to be and just follow after me and follow my teachings. They, they divide and draw away. Why is it they divide and draw away? Would you give us the answer right here in this verse? He says in verse 19, in these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. What is the one mark in a believer's life that we know that we have been born again and sealed in God? He has given us the Holy Spirit of God. And can I say this, that the moment you and I trusted Christ for our salvation, according to the Scriptures, Paul says in Ephesians, that instantaneously at that moment we were baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. There's not more of the Holy Spirit that you and I need to get. The question is, how much of myself am I giving over to the Holy Spirit? And so he's saying here that, listen, those who have left the faith, those who have denounced Christ, as he earlier says in this letter, the reason they do this is because they are devoid of the Spirit of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, speaking to believers, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, you're not carnal, but you are in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so every one of us believers have been given the Holy Spirit, and this could be another sermon on why we're given the Holy Spirit. Number one is to illuminate Scripture to us. Number one is to, uh, number two is to change and transform our lives as we walk in the Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, being guided by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, and He brings about that change in our lives so that, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, that we grow in bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, you'll know them by their works, or you'll know them by their deeds. Well, here's a litmus test in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, to know whether or not they have the Spirit of God. And I'll just read it for you. You know the passage. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, 
patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These should all be evident in the follower's life if they've had and been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, right? Now, are you and I always these things? Sandy, I, I am, right? No? No? At home? Yeah? No? No, we're not. But the beauty is, is that the Holy Spirit resides in us, and it's the Holy Spirit of God that prompts us to the things of God so that we might walk in the Holy Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, the moment or shortly thereafter that we find ourselves not being loving to someone else, the Holy Spirit will say, hey, bozo, that's the way he talks to me. I don't know how he talks to you. But say, Bozo, that was a very unloving thing that you did there. That was a very unloving thing that you said there. Hey, Bozo, because a person's not walking the way that they need to be walked, be patient, be suffering long with them, knowing that the same Spirit that works in you is also working in them as well, and on and on and on. And so that's evidence that we've been saved, that we've been given the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse In the next verse, verse 21, he says this. He says, but you. Second time he said that. The first one, but you, remember what the apostle said, that there'll be scoffers in the last days. There'll be heretics. There'll be apostates. Now, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And so what he's saying here is, but you, we need to be aware that there are apostates out there. We need to be aware that there are heretics that are there. We need to be in the Scriptures to know the Scriptures so that we can identify it. But here he says, but you, and all of these things sum up under this one statement in the structure of the sentence here, but you keep yourselves in God's love. A perfect love casts out what? All fear. Does God love perfectly? Now, now we just church talk, or do we really believe that God loves perfectly? Do we believe that God loves us unconditionally without love? Do we believe that we love Him not because we, we decided to express our love to Him, but we love Him because He first loved us and drew us to Him by His love and His grace and His mercy. Do we believe without reservation when we come to the Father, Father, I know that you love me. And can I say this? It's a good thing for us to remind ourselves every day that God loves us. And here he says, but you keep yourselves in the love of God. Can I say this, that the love of God is the ground base for everything in our Christian life. That we know that God loves us. Listen, when I sin against God, I know that's shocking to you, but I do. That's a joke. You can laugh. I know that God still loves me. Is he pleased with that? No. Does he desire for me to be restored back into fellowship with him and and confess it and make it right? Yes. 
But it does not affect one bit, one iota of the love that God has for you and for me. Some of you may need to hear that this morning. And it may be something from 30 years past. It may be something from 30 minutes past. But you need to know that that thing cannot thwart the love of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that there is absolutely nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. You know why? Because God's love depends on him and it doesn't depend on us or anybody else. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Some very practical ways, I think, in, in, in my Christian life and according to the Word of God, that, that help keep me in, in the love of God. He alludes to it here, and he says specifically in this same verse, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. We were talking about this Wednesday night as the men, some of the men are going through Better Man, which will begin church-wide on September the 16th. But we were talking about this thing of communion with God or having time with God and and praying to God. And we all admitted in the room of 21, 22 men that, that we all struggle with this. How many of you are with us in that? But how very important we concluded at the end of our conversation that it's so important for us. We know that that it's important for us, not out of a duty or an obligation to be in the Word of God daily, to be in communion with God daily. We know that's vitally important, but we know that it's vitally important because that's one of the things that keeps us in the faith. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not saying here that you can lose your salvation if you don't. I've said it before and I'll say it again, that once a believer has trusted Christ and they've been regenerated and born again, they are saved unto eternity. Here he says, build yourself up. So the analogy there is is kind of like exercise. And so there's some exercises that I need to do that you need to do so that we might build ourselves up in the holy faith. You know, you've ever, you ever had those weeks where the week passes by and you go, wow, there's my Bible still on the dash of my truck or the kitchen table or wherever else. And the, day, the week goes on and you're like, oh, man. And sometimes I think that, that, that can keep us from coming into corporate worship. Because you think, I've been a worm all week. How can I go there and be a hypocrite? No, I need to go there because I've got to be filled again and rejuvenated and revived in that thing called the Word of God and a Christian fellowship and worship of God. So number one is this, building yourselves up in the most holy faith would be that we remain in the Word of God and that we walk in the Spirit We rely on the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word of God so that it seeds in our heart, right? You can't separate the two. I can't separate the Spirit of God from the Word of God. And if I'm just reading the Word of God to check off my list and I'm I'm reading it twice through in the year, then that's that's better than nothing, I guess. But, But I always say, listen, if it's just one verse today, If it's just one morsel of the living Word of God that's sharper than any double-edged sword that pierces, divides bone and marrow, divides spirit and soul, if it's that one word from God that I can meditate on to the day, man, oh man, can any of you bear witness to that? That it's the Word of God. Number two is this, 
that we're commended, that, that we're to have fellowship within the body of Christ. And I know COVID-19 has really disrupted that. But I'm, I'm learning that the body is finding creative ways to do that. Some of us are zoomed out. I understand. I don't call it zoomed out anymore. I call it zoned out because after about five minutes, man, I'm zoned out, right? But we're craving. God has made us for fellowship and relationship. And where there's genuine relationship, there is fellowship. And when there is fellowship in the body of Christ, there's going to be unity in the body of Christ. This coming together in fellowship in the body. We, we look at the account in Acts chapter 2 where they were commended because the, the, Luke tells us that daily the body came together to break bread together, to fellowship with one another, and to be admonished through the apostles' teaching. The Word of God was the center of that. And we're not just talking about going to a, an event. We're talking about real quantity of fellowship where we share in life. I call it the body life. And so we as believers in this period, especially, we need to do as much and everything that we can to be encouraged and exhorted by one another. Lastly, that, that principle of through the assembly of the body. We're admonished in Hebrews chapter 10, that, that we're not to forsake the gathering together of the body of Christ. Different, different, different platform, different medium, different thing, but it's great to come together. The one thing I heard in the months that we were shut down was, I cannot wait to get back together with the body. Everybody say amen to that. Several people this morning, I'm so glad to be back. I'm glad to be back too. Now, that can't replace that time, as Jeff said in the beginning, of, of that time in smaller groups where we get together and encourage and admonish one another. But it goes with it because our purpose here on Sunday morning is to worship God, to worship Him through song, to worship Him through the Word of God, to worship Him by giving, to worship Him in our serving. This is where the body comes together, and I need it desperately in my life. The second thing he says here. Uh, of the way that we're to, to keep ourselves in God's love is by praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, some take this to say that, that he's talking, but he has, he's not saying, he, the idea of tongues is not even close in interpretation of what he's saying here. When he says to pray in the Spirit, he has more the idea that, that we are in context of what he's writing about, of these apostates and these heretics, that we are involved in a spiritual battle. Cookie cutter, bless my Aunt Susie, isn't going to cut it in a spiritual battle, right? I'm not criticizing that, but I'm just saying, he's saying pray in the Spirit because we are in perilous times. And we have seen in this year, 2020, I laugh about it because all the sermon series are going to be uh, vision 2020. That went out the window, right? We're in, we're in a spiritual battle. And, and the closest parallel I think that I could use, and you can look at the passage later when you leave today, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, where Paul basically says, hey, we don't win by an argument. How many of you know that? And quit arguing on Facebook. Well, I just stepped on somebody's toe, didn't I? 
I never won an argument. Listen, most of my friends think the way I do. Most of my friends on Facebook live kind of in the same circle that I'm in, right? So really all I'm doing is preaching to the choir. We don't, win a, we, we don't win a battle by argument. We win a battle because there's a spiritual battle going on. And Paul instructs us that, listen, we are in a spiritual battle. And there's a reason for that. And in Ephesians chapter 6, you've got to put on the armor of God. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spirits and principalities and in high places and the two weapons that he has given us. And that is the word of God and prayer in the spirit of God. I know I'm preaching now. But folks, we've got to be a praying church if we're going to keep in the faith. We've got to be a praying church if we're going to see the mission go forward. The mission will not go forward with programs and gimmicks. Thank God for COVID-19 because some of those will probably never come back. I know, I know. God's calling the body of Christ in these times to get down to the main thing, which is the main thing, and the main thing is the mission that he's given to the church. These other things are not bad. They're good. But my goodness, my experience has been that they get in the way of the thing that is most helpful. And then he says, lastly, one other way to keep yourself in the faith is to eagerly await the return of Jesus. Look what he says. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We're admonished in Scripture to look up and be watchful, for your redemption draweth nigh. That we're eagerly anticipating and waiting on the return of Jesus because we know and understand through the Scriptures that when He returns, He's going to establish His kingdom and all victory of all victories will be won. We know that the only thing, the only answer to racial discrimination, racial unrest... The only thing to viruses, the only answer to viruses, the only answer to economic distress, the only answer to government against government is the return of Jesus Christ when he established. And that's what we have to be focused on. Look up, be watchful for your redemption draweth nigh. Amen? And he says in the last part of this, verses 22 and 23, here's what we're to do. And have mercy on those who doubt. He's talking about those that that are beginning to doubt their faith because of the influence of these apostates. Somebody said the, 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 the church is the only organization that shoots its wounded. But here he says, show mercy to them. Mercy triumphs over judgment, is what the Bible says. So within your sphere of influence, maybe those who might be be, being led away, have mercy with them. Share with them the love of God and the love of Christ and the truth of the Word of God. We don't beat them up with it, right? But we share it with them in compassion. Have mercy, he says. Mercy, compassion. 
Loving kindness is another way that can be translated. And then secondly, not only to those who are doubting, but verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Here I think he's making specific reference to those that were, that moved from having doubt to starting to begin to walk with these apostates. And he says, hey man, rescue them as rescuing them from the eternal flames of an everlasting hell. Then lastly, I find this interesting. To to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by blood. Wait wait a minute, Jude. I don't want to show mercy to these apostates. Anybody else with me? He says, in that, to continue to show mercy with fear. Here he's talking about a reverent fear, the fear of God, and leaving it up to God and His judgment. So have mercy with fear, hating or setting aside, not having anything to do with, not just listening to them for a moment, not not following them, not 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 just particularly, have even the garment stained by the flesh. That garment that he was talking about was the undergarment that was worn and, and, and that it's stained by the flesh. Don't, don't even get close to it. In closing, let me, let me just encourage you in this. Just a recap. There are so many messages that are out there today, and, and many times they're not from pulpits. Oh, they're from a platform, but not from a pulpit. And, and the enemy is doing everything that he can to draw those away from the faith. Be discerning. Don't go after what just stimulates your emotional stimulator. Emotions fade, don't they? We can be so deceived by Him. Go after that which is true and lasting of the faith once held by the apostles, the Word of God. Show mercy. Stay in the love of God. I can't say it hard enough. We are in perilous times, and I don't think they're going to get better. Tom Rainer. I'm going a couple of minutes over, who does a lot of research in the Christian church world, as, as well as George Barna. And a Pew report came out this last week. It's estimated as a result of the coronavirus, and this is nationwide, that the church, the body of Christ, in any local church, is going to be at least 30 to 40 percent less attended or engaged than pre COVID-19. You see, boy, the enemy has, has been able to come in and do a number. And in the midst of that, part of the reason was not just because of COVID-19, but because of the great divide in this political season that we're in today. Church, don't fall prey to it. I reside in this nation. You reside in this nation. But I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, and so are you. Amen?
to be faithful to Him, all of our decisions should be weighed on what this book says. I love you. I know I preached passionately. And some, this is near, it's just so burdensome on my heart right now. Father, we pray that the word shared through your word. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.